I just want to welcome you to Grace Bible Fellowship. And uh, my subject this morning is how much are you worth? I'm going to give you a few texts. We're going to lay down the foundation. And we're going to start with 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The key here is that they no longer live for themselves. And then there's in 1 Corinthians 5.56, the Bible says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. And then in Hebrews 9.26, which was on there, it says, Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the Bible says that he has put away sin. Now, in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So what have we learned in these foundational texts, texts for the message here? We have learned that Christ died for all, the sting of death is sin, and that he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, if you've heard me many, many times, those of you that are members here, that I have said that the sin issue is over. There is nobody that will be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. He said, the, the Bible told us that he did this for all men without exception. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now we've learned that repentance is changing our mind about God. Now, he did this for all. So do not let anyone deceive you into believing that God has placed some that cannot possibly believe. That God did not choose them. There is a belief system out there today that God has gone down and picked, like if he would go down the road here, you're in, you're in, you're out. And they have, they have some Bible texts that would lead you to believe that. But those who believe that, I feel, have blasphemed the grace of God. It would make God responsible for unbelief of an unbeliever. And we've saw that God wishes that all, all would come to repentance. Now, notice here in Luke 13, 34, 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to here, how often I have wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. And then in John 3.19, the Bible says, This is the judgment that the, lights, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So the Bible simply says that whether men love light or whether they love darkness, whether they prefer God or they prefer darkness, love can only be expressed if we have free will. Without freedom of choice, it is equally impossible to obey or disobey, to be commended for the one or be condemned for the other. The cross involves everyone to make a personal decision for Christ. And that personal decision cannot be avoided. In Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So the Bible seems to be very clear. So what happens when we make that decision to follow Christ? Well, we already read in 2 Corinthians that we no longer live for ourselves. A remarkable change takes place when an individual has received Christ as their personal Savior. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of outlook. A new principle of human behavior comes from being born of God, being born again. We know that we are designed by God. We're designed to know him. We're designed to have him live within us. But we are full of choices as well. We make choices every day, and some of us, we've made some bad choices. Some of us more than others, I guess. But we, we have the choice. And the Christian has a choice too. To live to and for yourself is to follow the flesh. To live to and for Christ is to walk after the Spirit. And we have those choices every day. What does it mean to you to have Christ as life? When the Bible says Christ is your life, what does that really mean to you on a daily basis? In Colossians 3, 4, the Bible says when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life. Now, we have all heard, those of us that have been Christians for some time, we have heard that we need to put Christ first. And there's all sorts of programs, there's all sorts of strategies on how we do that. 
When I was a young Christian, I think I've tried most of them that I heard of anyway. Put Christ first. What does that mean? Well, to some it means that you start your day and you give your first hour to Christ. Put him first. So I tried that. I set my alarm at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I decided that I was going to spend the first hour in prayer. And uh, it, was, uh, it was okay, but oftentimes I fell asleep in the middle of my prayer. Um, then I heard about quiet time, and so I decided that I was going to have some quiet time. And then, of course, they say that you should study your Bible. And uh, so I decided that I would take time to study my Bible every day. And that's all good. But that's not what the Bible means when it says put Christ first. You see, if you're a born-again believer, Christ is first. Now, you may not understand exactly how that works. Most of us don't. Um, sometimes, I, I, I think when we first become a Christian, we are told certain things. And we think that if we do those things in step, having the prayer, having the quiet time, having, studying your scriptures and everything, then everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to be rosy. And sometimes, unconsciously, this is the message that we're doing, or giving, I should say. If we do our part, then God will do his part. In other words, we end up being, once again, the initiators. We uh, initiate a, a program, a, a formula, that God will bless us. And we think that by doing these things, God will bless us. God has already blessed us. He's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness without us trying to do anything. So do we make Christ first, or do we believe that he is already first? Now, most of us, when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we were a little bit confused on how that actually works. And we thought that by doing all the right things, then everything would be all right. But that's not the way life works. So... I know that it's hard to believe that it's not about you and how well you live, how much you study the Bible, how much you pray. It's not about you. You cannot accomplish your redemption by study, quiet time, or anything else. You cannot accomplish your sanctification by going through those exercises. You cannot do it. Let me show you what Christ has already done. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, do we believe it? Do we actually believe 
that God has given us everything for life and for godliness? Or are we still searching for a program, for some strategy where we can get closer to God or we can, we can have this experience with God that would confirm that He is in us and we are in Him? What are we doing? Do we really believe God? Notice here, He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What does that mean? And notice what the condition is. Through the true knowledge of him. Through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. You'll receive everything that you need for life. And everything that you need for godliness. In Colossians 2, 9 and, 9 and 10. The Bible says. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So what the Bible tells us here, that you have, been, you have received the fullness of God. The fullness of the deity in bodily form. The Bible says here that you are complete. Now once again... I'm not asking if you feel complete, if you do everything according to, to the Bible. I'm not asking you that. But I am asking you to believe that that is true, that you are complete in Christ. You have everything you need for this life and for godliness. God has already given you that. Faith takes what God gives he gives you everything in life pertaining even to godliness. God gives what man needs, all that he needs. Listen, he gave you Christ. You have Christ living in you. And everything he says that you have, you have. But most of us we didn't know it. When we first came to Christ, it was too confusing to us. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, I remember when I first came to Christ, I was 23 years old, just out of the Marine Corps, um, just really excited that I had found Christ, but I didn't know what I found. I can remember, <clears throat> I didn't know what being a Christian was. And when I became a Christian, I thought this was the most wonderful thing. And so I lived in a little place called Selick, Washington. It's the, uh, <clears throat> it's the last town that you can go to before you go over the mountain. And uh, there's only one way in and there's one way out. And I lived there. And I was going to some meetings and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And so when I was going home, I stopped at this tavern that I was used to going to. And I drank until I was pretty well done in by the liquor. And then went on home. And each night that I went to these evangelistic meetings, I would do the same thing. And then one night the evangelist spoke on alcohol and, and all of these things. And I thought, oh, wow, 
I'm not even supposed to do that. And I thought, well, if God has saved me, he can save me from that as well. I did not understand the process of Christ living in you. I only knew that I asked Christ to come into my life. Most of us are in that condition. We have asked Christ to come into our life. Things have changed a little, but then there's a lot of things that remain, remain the same. And so we get confused. We get confused exactly how God works. Now, I want you to think about, think about your role in life. What is your role in life? And what does it mean to have Christ living in you? What does it mean that Christ is your life? Maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman who once you cross, once you cross the door of your office, you're the boss. You, you're in full control. Everything you say goes. This is your kingdom, and maybe you take pride in the success of your business. Now, you may feel the need to have Christ when maybe in your church responsibility. You may feel the need in your marriage. But as far as your business is concerned, you can handle the business on your own. And so very seldom do you pray about it. Very seldom do you take it to the Lord and ask him for direction. You're pretty capable of doing it yourself. But did you know that Christ wants to be in the middle of every circumstances that you face? He wants to be in the middle of that. Now, <clears throat> maybe you're a husband and let me tell you something right now, that the power for life is in Jesus Christ. A husband ought to ask God to live his life through me. He dwells in me, but live that life through me. Love my wife through me. Because a lot of us, we don't know how to love. And so we ask Christ to live his life, but live it through me. Love my wife through me. The Bible says to husbands, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. The Bible says to husbands, you must love your wife as you love yourself. As Christ loved the church. This is what the Bible tells a husband to do. But what if you don't know how to love? What if you kind of grew up where you didn't really know what love was all about? And then you get married. Now you have a wife and you don't know how to love that wife. That's when we fall on our knees and we ask God to live his life through us. Love my wife through me. Love my wife through me. Maybe you're a father. Remember, Christ is your life. You need to learn to be dependent on Christ for
for wisdom, for patience, and above all love. I can remember when my son, I took a leave of absence from the ministry and I had a printing business and um, all three sons, they kind of worked at the printing company. And my middle son, Matt, he was 16 years old. I'd worked all day late at night and then I got home about 10.30 or something like that and I finally fell asleep. The phone rang and it was a police department in McLean, Virginia. I didn't even know they had a police office there. And they had my son, 16 years old. He was caught drinking beer. And they had him and another fella in jail there and they called me and told me to come down and pick him up. I went down and I was really irritated because I just had fallen asleep and I had to get up early the next morning. I went down to McLean, checked him out, got him out, got him in the car, and I said, Matt, I said, I'm, I'm too tired to go over everything with you, but I'll talk to you tomorrow. I said, I don't know what's going on with you. I said, but I'll tell you what, I said, I'll come home early tomorrow when you get out of school and then we'll talk. And I remember driving from the print shop over to our home. And I said, Lord, I said, I don't know what to say to him. I really don't know. I said, but you promised that you'd give me wisdom. So I'm going to ask you to speak through me when I speak to him. So I got in, got into the house, went up to his room. He was there. And I said, first thing I did, I said, Matt, I said, do you know that I love you? He says, yeah, Dad. I said, you know that I'd do anything for you? Yeah, Dad. He said, I know. I says, I says, I suppose you're wondering what your punishment is going to be. He goes, yeah. And I says, well, I said, I've decided that your punishment is going to be you'll have to listen to one of my stories. And I saw this grin come across his face. He says, okay, Dad. I says, well, I said, I was an evangelist out west. And I said, it was opening night at a campaign that we had. We're at the fairgrounds. Place was packed. And I said, I finished the message and I gave an altar call. And nobody was coming forward. And I bowed my head up there in front of everybody. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, I prayed about coming here. I think this is where you want me to come. If I came here and preached, if it was just for one, that, that would be fine. If it's just for one, Lord. And then I raised my head up and I saw this little 10-year-old boy come down all by himself. I knew he was 10 years old because it was, it was my son. It was Matt. He was coming down. And as I watched him come down, 187 people followed him to the altar. And I said, I, I said to the Lord then, I said, Lord, thank you. And then it, it just felt like God was speaking to me. It wasn't a voice or anything else like that. It was just a text that came up. It says, I started a good work in him and I will finish it. 
And I, says to, I said to Matt, I said, you know, Matt, I said, I'm not worried about you. Not worried about you at all. Because God made me a promise. He said he started a good work in you and he will finish it. And I trust him and I'll rest, put my life in that. And um, so then I said, let me have a word of prayer. I prayed for him and then I went back to the print shop. Fathers, we are to get wisdom from God. We are to trust God. In Galatians 2.20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ, and that's what we were. So fathers, but maybe you're a wife, and remember the power of life is in Jesus Christ. Let him love your husband through you. Through you. Learn to be dependent in this area of your life. The Bible says to the wives, respect your husband. And I know that there have been problems and situations in lives where they, I've heard wives say, well, I can't, I, I, I don't, I can't respect him because of the things that he's done. The Bible says to you, wives, to trust him, to respect him. That might be the area in your life where God is trying to teach you to depend upon him. Let God love your husband through you. Maybe you're a mother, maybe you're a good one. And think you are adequate in the business of rearing a family. Maybe you're well-disciplined and have a well-planned family life. But maybe you leave very little room for prayer in your life. Maybe you feel that you've got everything under control. Learn to depend upon Christ in this area as well. I believe it's well for married couples to Read 1 Corinthians 13, the excellence of love. Because you have been made alive. You, you are exactly who God wants you to be. And God's desire is for you to express himself through you. Your behavior. All that you do is what Christ does and creates in you the image of all that Christ is in you. Is it patience? Is it kindness? What is it? What is it that you feel that you can do without Christ? Galatians 2.20 again. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's sort of unusual, isn't it, that when we come to Christ, Christ asks us to kill ourselves. Christ asks us to crucify ourselves. So we crucify ourselves. It is no longer I who live, so we are dead to our past. We are dead to sin. 
But then it says that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, now I'm resurrected in the newness of life. Now I'm back, I'm back to life. It says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you see it? The Bible says that we are fused in Christ. We are united in Christ. We are on the same team. It's him. It's you. It's him. It's you. It's him. It's you. You're on the same team. Now, there's a popular belief out there that we, it's just all of God. It's all of Christ. It's all of God. No, it's you too. It's you. God is working in your personality. God, he wants to work through that personality just the way you are. Now, I realize that today in the world, we're told, and even in the religious world, we're told that we need to try harder. And what happens when we try harder? Well, we end up giving up. And so the cycle goes, most Christians, they're trying harder than they give up. They try hard, give up. Try hard, give up. And that's why it, a lot of times at the first of the year, you'll hear, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to love my wife more. I'm going to love my husband more. I'm going to be more sensitive to the to the children. And I'm going to try harder. And those of us that have spent our life trying harder found out that it doesn't work. It's almost like a diet. Most people, most people that have are, that have tried dieting have tried more than one diet. And it seems like, again, at the beginning of the year, they okay, I'm really going to try it this time. I'm really going to, I'm really going to give it everything I've got. And then they fail. And then a little, maybe months go by, maybe years go by. And they try it again. And so Christians are, they're going through the same process. They feel that if they would just try hard, if they pray more, study more, if have more quiet time, they feel that if they did what they were doing more, then things would be better. And it doesn't work that way. There is another way. There's another way. Lord, I want to know you in this situation. I have a problem, but I've had it for a long time. I prayed about it. I know, I know that I love you. I know you love me. I prayed and prayed and prayed, and it doesn't seem to go away. Lord, what I need, I need to know you in this particular situation. I need to know you. The Bible says in Romans 6, 
Paul, speaking to the Romans, he says, do you not know? You see, it's possible to be in Christ and not know. It's possible to be a Christian and be a good one and not understand what God is doing in your life. Lord, I need to know you in this situation. As far as God is concerned, if we are living to and for ourselves, a man's worth is measured in which he no longer lives to and for himself, but to and for Jesus Christ. No more, no less. So the question is, how much do you feel you're worth? A man's worth is essentially a matter of a relationship to Jesus Christ. It's not about having money. It's not about education. It's not our social status. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle, once Saul of Tarsus, he hated Christ and persecuted the church. Why? Because he had still regarded Christ from a purely human point. According to the facts as he knew them, Jesus Christ was an illegitimate child of an unfaithful woman. So as far as he was concerned, Jesus Christ was an outcast. So society, he wasn't worth much according to society. Born of peasant stock, his schooling very little, if any. He was only equipped to be a craftsman professionally. How much was he worth? Nothing. Nothing. A fanatical street preacher, a rabble-rouser, having absolutely no theological training whatsoever, was looked at contempt by his so-called scholars of that day. Theologically, intelligently, how much was he worth? Nothing. His financial standing was such as he even had to borrow a coin to teach one of his far-fetched stories. He had no home of his own. Born in a borrowed stable, he lived and dined in borrowed homes. He rode upon a borrowed donkey. He was crucified on a borrowed cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was bankrupt at the very start. Financially, how much was he worth? Nothing. So should we be so angry at Saul of Tarsus? Was his judgment insincere? If the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world today under similar circumstances, you tell me, which congregation would hire him as a pastor? None. 
what missionary organization would put him on the board or even let him go into the field? None. Our outward value are, are just as wrong today as they were in Saul's day. But something happened that changed Saul of Tarsus completely. It was an encounter on the road to Damascus. He looked into the face of a man and saw God. In one blinding, crushing moment of humiliation, his whole utter worthless world was exposed by a stubborn heart. In Philippians 3, the Bible says this. Paul gives us his resume. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the, tribes of, ben of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, he persecutor, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Paul found out that he was nothing, but with Christ, he was everything. To discover that is to discover how much Christ is worth. He is worth everything. Saul of Tarsus became, became the Apostle Paul. He was out of Adam and now in Christ. Losing his life, he found it. And that's where we are today. We have been called by, by Christ to lose our life and depend upon his life. Christ is our life. Now, how much are you worth? When you said yes to Christ, he filled what you were, nothing. You were nothing. With what he is, he filled you with everything. He's given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. You can quit your search. You found the right source. There's no seminar. There's none of this craziness out here today in the religious world that's going to give you, get you closer to God. Christ lives in you. You are as close to God today, this very moment, that you will ever be in your life. He's dwelling inside of you. The only thing that he wants to do, he wants to reflect his life in you and through you. And he wants husbands. He wants you to be dependent upon Christ to love your wife. Wife, he wants you to depend on Christ to love your husband. We can't do it. We make a mess of it all the time. But the Bible says that he can. He can do all things through Christ. And it's all true. When you and I come to the place that we will agree with God, that we are dead with Christ to all that, he, all that we were in Adam, and alive to God and all that we are in Christ. And when the wrong man is out, Adam, 
the right man in Christ, God has made you the wealthiest person in the world. So what are you worth? You're wealthy. Someone might say, well, I don't have much. Yes, you do. You have everything. You have everything you need in this life and in godliness. You are the wealthiest people in the world. The moment that you gave your life to Christ, that moment you became wealthy. You may not, I certainly didn't understand it when I gave my life to Christ, but I understand it today. Every one of us are maturing in Christ. We're getting a better picture, a better view of God, who he is, what he is, and his desire to live that life in us and through us. It's a wonderful life. There's no better life in this world to wake up every day knowing that Christ lives in you. Going to wherever you go, whether you go to the gym, whether you go to work, wherever you go, you walk in there with the confidence that Christ is in you. And the words that you speak are the words that Christ impresses you to say. He lets you be you. And that's the thing. Christ in you, you in Christ. It's him. It's you. It's him. It's you. Working as a team together. Yeah, we make a lot of mistakes. But you know, I've even found out that's good. Even our mistakes are good. All things work for good for those who love the Lord. All things. Good things, bad things, they all work for good if we just allow Christ to live that life in us and through us. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the life that you have given to us. We're thankful, Lord, that we are wealthy. You've made us wealthy. We're thankful that we do have everything, that our search is over. Now we're just maturing in you, learning to trust you, learning to depend upon you in every aspect of our life. And I pray, Lord, whatever, whatever situation there may be in the families that are here, I pray that as they look at their problem, they'll come to you and they'll say, Lord, I love you, I trust you, but Lord, I want you in the midst of this problem that I'm facing. I want to know you in this situation. I want you to reveal yourself to me in this situation. And I will praise you and give you honor throughout eternity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for answering our prayer because we've asked it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.